Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the star line by author Larry English. His new book, Office Optional, How to Build a Connected Culture with Virtual Teams, is available now. Thank you for having me. Let's go beyond the mic. Larry, since the coronavirus outbreak, companies have moved with various successes to remote work. Your book covers creating a virtual company and the successes and pitfalls therein. Why do some companies succeed moving virtually while some fail? I'll give you two kind of key issues that I, I see, the mistakes that I see being made. So one is not trusting your employees. We've worked with thousands of employees over the last 20 years in a remote environment. And I can count on my hands how many times we've had a situation where people were not intentionally working. What I see companies doing is they'll put in software that monitors if the employee is sitting at their desk or how many clicks they're doing or what websites they're going to. It is the exact wrong approach to take. If you trust your employees and give them a lot of leeway and to take advantage of of remote so they have flexibility in their day, they're going to work way harder. And there's actually been a lot of studies done on it. And there's an ROI to it. If you trust your employees, it leads to happier employees, which lead to more engaged employees, which they take better care of your customers. And then they ultimately it leads to higher profitability for your company. The second point is companies try to, they send everybody to work remote and then they try to operate the exact same way they did when they were in the office. One of the secrets to building a great culture when you have remote workers is building deep connections with each other. And the way that happens when you're physically in the office is you do it in the hallway or, you know, um, between meetings. And you can't do that, obviously, or it's a lot harder to do remotely. So, you have to change how you operate as a company. So I'll give you an example. We start all of our meetings with a virtual water cooler where it's all about personal connection and not talking about work at all because that helps people feel more connected to each other and it builds a stronger culture as a company. Now, there are some people that can't handle a virtual culture. How do you help these people be successful in a world where there isn't a water cooler to brainstorm at? Because some of the best ideas come from talking it out with someone away from your desk. It can't be the, we're going to have water-cooled time from 9.05 to 9.15. Sometimes it's, I have a problem, I need a solution, but I don't know how to get there. Maybe someone can help me if I just talk it out with them. So I hear all the time, you, you have to be in the office to innovate. And it's simply not true. We just won an award, Fast Company, one of the top 100 most innovative companies to work for. So what we figured out is how to recreate innovation in a virtual world. Like we were just talking on the last question, you have to move innovation to a virtual world and allow those run-ins to happen virtually. To give you examples of that, we've actually created software where people can share ideas that everybody in the organization can see them. People can then opt in to join that team and share their content or work on that idea. So essentially what you're doing is you're recreating virtual run-ins online. Here's the key point is what I believe will happen is the cat's out of the bag and companies are going to have to allow remote workers or they're not going to get the best talent. And you don't want to constrict your organization on innovation by just saying the only way we're going to innovate is if two people are in the same office together. So you want to get great at it because in the the future of where we're going to, that your best and brightest are going to be all over the world. You want them to be able to collaborate and innovate virtually. You graduated Miami University with a BS in applied science and system analysis. Did you ever think that you and a couple of friends would be co-founding a consulting firm with non-centralized workers all over the world? 
No. <laughs> Uh, obviously not. I don't know what I was thinking when I graduated college. I was just happy to have a job. But what's really fascinating is we, when we came up with this idea, it was not about saving money on office space. We were trying to think about how to create a company that hadn't existed before and how to have the best experience for our employees. And we came up with the idea. We thought that if they could work remotely and have more flexibility in their lives, they were going to be happier. And that's what happened. And, and then we started to see the trends um, where the technology was getting better and better for people to collaborate. We started to see that companies were becoming more accepting of it. We thought 10 years out, this was the way that everybody was going to work. And then the pandemic happened and you saw 10 years of innovation happen in three months. And now everybody's kind of there. How have your four sons tackled the coronavirus quarantine? Well, two of uh, the four have had it. Two of them got it in college. And the first one was, this was right when coronavirus was happening, when it all came out and, you know, not a lot was not known. And so we were super scared and nervous for him. And we could not, you know, we would go see him every day, but we could sit, we'd sit 20 feet apart with masks on and you couldn't hug him. And, you know, it was terrible. And then fast forward, the second kid went back to college this fall and got it right away. And he had to quarantine and he was all with his buddies and they were having fun. And we were much less scared. And so my third kid, I just dropped him off at college and I'm certain he will get it because the kids are not, it's really hard to <laughs> tell these college kids, you know, the, Hey, don't talk to each other. And uh, some of our employees have lost family members as a result of COVID. So it has been super hard. And so I, I just, we've had to lean on each other. I'm so grateful that my kids are okay. I don't think there's any long-term implications of it but I, I'm ready for a vaccine to come so that we can get back back to normal. Trust is an important factor in remote work. You have to be able to trust your employees. We'll get the work done while giving them the freedom to do it on their own time. How is trust so important for companies to succeed with remote work? Trust un- underlies great cultures. And so you could have a remote company where you're monitoring everybody and it's um, big brother but you're not going to have a great culture. As I was mentioning before, there's also been a lot of studies done. If you have a great culture, you outperform other companies by a factor of five in terms of profitability. So it starts with trust, whether your company is remote or not. And that is what is eventually going to lead to a great culture. Now, one problem I've discovered in working from home during COVID is the lack of time talking to coworkers about their lives, families, the things that bind teams together. How do you solve those team building exercises while remaining six feet apart or in some cases much farther away? Sure. So you have to build in those connections uh, and those opportunities for connections into how you operate. The other thing that you have to do is we've learned that we have to train our leadership to be good leaders of virtual employees because it's a different skill set. And we have to train all of our employees to be great virtual employees. And what does that mean? Well, what's different than say, you know, if you're going to a physical office and those companies that are used to doing that is we go out of our way to focus on personal connection. So we do things, we train people to model vulnerability because being vulnerable is the shortcut to trust. We teach people, we, we actually have exercises that allow people to share what they're comfortable sharing about their personal life. But once you do that, you build a stronger connection with people and then your team performs better. And around leadership, 
virtual employees can get disconnected really, really fast. You can, I can sit in my office all day and not call anybody. You have to go out of your way to more regularly check in with all of the, your team members and the people that report to you. And it's not about business necessarily. It's also about making a connection with them on a personal level and check in and see how they're feeling. When someone comes in that just doesn't fit, how do you eliminate the mismatch without hurting your existing superstars? Uh, I love this question because there is such a temptation. So culture is so important to us that when we hire, we screen for 50% of the time on skills and 50% on culture. And what we've seen, and so it's, it's super easy in business. You run into this, oh my gosh, this guy's a rainmaker. Um, we've got to have him. Well, he doesn't, you know, he makes everybody else mad. He doesn't work very well with everybody, but we're going to hire him. And what happens is the second you start to compromise on hiring people that don't match your culture, it impacts everybody else. It's a slippery slope and your culture starts to degrade. Now, the real test, if you really value culture, is you know sticking to your guns and only hiring people that match your culture because what's going to happen is you're actually going to grow slower because you can't find everybody that's a culture fit. Now, what do you do when you have someone who has a talent deficit but has a work ethic that overcomes that talent shortage? Well, for us, we try to give people the benefit of the doubt. So if we have a performance issue, we try to figure out what what is the core issue for that. And let's give that person an opportunity to get better. Let's give them the resources um, to do that. A lot of companies will just say, oh my gosh, this, you know, hey, hey, this person isn't performing, get rid of them. And we we try to make a commitment that we hire people for life. And so we're really careful on the front end. And so if somebody comes in, they certainly have all the culture fit. Maybe they've gotten into a new role and it's it's not the right thing for them. We want to figure that out and give them every, you know, every opportunity. And then we might get to the point where it's we both kind of mutually agree, hey, this isn't working out. We take care of them as they leave. But what happens is everybody sees that. And so everybody knows that if I do my best, they're going to, there's, they're going to take care of me. And so you have much stronger loyalty in your organization and you have lower turnover. Now, how has loyalty made your company so strong and how can you teach loyalty to companies who might be in it just for the bucks? Well, I don't think they will have loyalty if they, if they are. Uh, So there's a lot of things that you can do. I'll give you an example of the pandemic. So when the pandemic hit, we're a consulting organization. So often, oftentimes the first thing that'll be cut in a company's budget is discretionary spend like consulting dollars. And so we saw companies pull back right away because there was just so much uncertainty. So those first two weeks after it happened, we're like, uh-oh, this, is, this could be really bad. And we were transparent with everybody in the organization, all thousand people who said, hey guys, we don't know what's going to happen here are the triggers for us. If, if these financial things happen or we see these things, we're going to have to do furloughs or salary reductions. And, and we'll be transparent every week with you about how we're doing. And so we did lose a couple of people who are like, well, I'm not, I'm not getting my salary reduced. So I'm going to go find another job. But we made it through this without having to do any of those things. And coming out of that, to give you an idea, as a tech company, our uh, annual turnover is about 7%, which is really good for a tech company. This year it's 0.7%. So that by being transparent and showing people, you know, we're really going to try and take care of them. That's led to better loyalty. Another issue with companies is the dreaded conference call where nobody can mute their damn phone correctly. And something that should take 20 minutes takes over an hour. How do you disseminate information to your employees 
without the sounds of toilet flushing, supermarket shopping in the background, and that occasional shower. So we take the exact opposite approach. So early on, and I've seen many companies do this when they switch to remote work, people feel guilty about their dog barking or their kid coming in. We embrace it. And we embrace the flexibility that this allows. So if somebody is on their way to the, a yoga class in the middle of the day because it re-energizes them and they're calling me on the way, I'm, it makes me happy. Um, so we make it completely okay because we know everybody's working remotely. And so when you do that and everybody is not, doesn't feel guilty, it, it leads to a much stronger culture because people know it's accepted. Time's running out, so it's time for the Rocky Need. Eight random questions answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. There is no pressure. All right. Favorite Ohio sports team? So here, here's a secret. I'm originally from Michigan. And so I, I, my dad, you know, we grew up going to Michigan games. And if you know Ohio, Columbus, Ohio, bad idea to root for Michigan. And, and so I moved there and I wore my Michigan jersey on game day. I think it was in fifth grade and I got beat up at the bus stop. So I, I learned very quickly to be very quiet about being a Michigan fan in, in Columbus, Ohio. What's the most annoying bill you have to pay each month? We have automated all of our bills, so I very rarely pay attention anymore <laughs> to, to them. <laughs> I don't like any bills. I don't like debt. So uh, maybe it's the ones that are debt related. One of your company's traditions is to sneak embarrassing photos from high school or something that you just don't want everyone to see into companies' meetings to loosen things up. What's the photo they use for you? <laughs> uh, they've used a lot. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of material there, but I had, um, I, there's one that I have like these really big glasses that are clearly out of date. Um, and that's gotten a lot of mileage for, for them. Now you've backpacked all over the world. Where was the best and worst place in that trip? I get that question all the time. And there's so many places I loved. Um, it's really hard to pick a best or favorite place. I will, I'll give you a few. So we climbed Kilimanjaro and went on safari. Uh, we bungee jumped in New Zealand. We went trekking in Nepal. We went to the running of the bulls, the tour de France. So we hit a lot of them and they're just all, they're all special to me. And the worst place, uh, let me think about it. Well, I will tell you, I freaked out when we went to Africa uh, because there was malaria, but <laughs> mosquitoes everywhere. <laughs> and uh, my wife handled it much, much better than I did. Um, I'm embarrassed to say. I know you like them. So what's the best Beatles song of all time? Ooh, wow. Um, all you need is love. What's one thing you do that annoys your loving wife of many, many years to no end? How much time do we have? Um <laughs> You got to pick one. The number one thing that I do that I've been really working hard on is, is to stop rolling my eyes. It's involuntary. She'll say something, I'll roll my eyes, and I don't even know I'm doing it. You're vice chairman of the board of the Mount Carmel Health System. What's the one challenge you see, other than COVID, in healthcare that we will be tackling in the next decade? Oh, my gosh. You talk about an industry that is so ripe for disruption it is going to be transformative. What's really interesting is, so they're a hospital in the provider space, all the tech companies and all the companies that are outside of healthcare are like, hey, you guys haven't figured out how to reduce costs and fixed quality of care. 
we're going to go do that for you because you can't seem to innovate on your own. And so I think you're going to see just all of these non-traditional players change how healthcare is delivered. But I'm optimistic because I think it's going to make it so much better um, how we provide care in in, uh, the United States. When will the U.S. men's national soccer team get to a World Cup final? And will they do it in your lifetime? So Greg Berhalter was my neighbor before he accepted the job. And his son actually has been to my house. He broke, he he's kicks the ball so hard he's broken blinds in my house. And I don't think I ever got compensated from Greg. I'll have to, I need to talk to him about that. In my lifetime, I think it's possible in my lifetime. I, I have two soccer players. And so I've seen a billion soccer games and I didn't grow up playing soccer. So I have great appreciation for the game now. It's just those it is gaining traction, but the other big sports are just so you know big in the United States. I, that is such momentum; to, it's hard to overcome. So maybe, maybe I don't. I'm not fifty-fifty, uh, maybe. Larry, where can people find the book? The easiest way to find me is LarryEnglish.net, and then it is out on Amazon and Barnes and Noble for purchase. His favorite Beatles song is "All You Need Is Love." Actually, was beat up for wearing a Michigan jersey in Ohio. He wants you to read Office Optional, How to Build a Connected Culture with Virtual Teams. Author Larry English, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. Super fun. Thank you for having me. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic.